The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 8 through 16. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Well, good morning, everyone. I know some of you must be thinking, wow, this guest speaker really picked a bummer of a passage. It'll get better, I promise. Um, so uh, my name is Britt, like Fred said, from Pasadena, and so excited to be with you all this weekend. Uh, I've never been to San Francisco for Pride, so this is amazing. The city really shows out. I know, one whoop, I like it. Um, my wife is actually in New York right now shooting World Pride. She's a photographer, so we are just getting the best of the best this weekend, um, and I'm so happy to be with this community. So. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about longing this morning. And we're going to talk about this very ominous passage from Jesus in the book of Luke. Uh, but a few things to tell you for context, just uh, so we can get to know each other a little before we have this conversation this morning. Um, I grew up in the evangelical church in the 90s. Do I have any, any friends with me there? Yes. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to be looking at you. Um, and then I went to evangelical Christian college. Any... Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Azusa Pacific University, the Harvard of the West Coast. Um, and then after that, I went to Evangelical Christian College Graduate School, and then I worked at a Christian college. And then from there, I had arrived at every evangelical kid dream at the age of 26. I became a pastor at a megachurch. So I peaked too soon, though, and after that, things got a little complicated. And so I found myself um, at a certain point um, asking questions and wondering things that no longer fit the scope that I had been given about church, about God, and about a lot of things. And I always say my sexuality was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. Because you can ask a certain amount of questions comfortably in that space, and then you say, oh, I'm also dating my friend Sammy, and then that's kind of the end of it. Um, <laughs> 
So I'm going to talk a little bit about a journey that maybe a lot of us have been on um, this morning. So in this passage, you have Jesus talking about the impending destruction of the temple. And here's what's fascinating about this. Is that the temple in that time is where? It's where everyone said that God was. So if you wanted to commune with God, if you wanted to meet God, you wanted to hear from God, you wanted to see God, you had to go to the temple. And so Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. And what's fascinating about Jesus and Jesus' ministry is Jesus always did what? Jesus always found God where people said God was not. Jesus' entire ministry existed exclusively outside of the temple. And when Jesus was inside the temple, he was doing what? He was confronting people and turning over tables and talking about these power structures and systems. And so we have this this juxtaposition in this passage where Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and what people will say um, and what people will do. And if you're like most of us this morning or like me this morning, I guess there was at some point a longing in myself to leave the temple. And that longing to leave the temple, right, was a metaphor for a longing that maybe I wanted to find God out of the very specific ways that people told me I could find God. I was handed very early on, right, let's say like a cup. I said inside this cup is where God is. It was very specific behaviors and identities and ways of living, right? And there was a book called Jesus Calling, and if you read it for 30 minutes every morning, you were fine, right? (laughs) And at some point, I started to ask some different questions about maybe where I could find God. And that longing in me, right, to say maybe it's bigger than this, my longing to leave the temple, right? And wouldn't you know that leaving that temple, right, that idea of where God was, I found more God than I've ever found before. I say it not even jokingly, the Hamilton soundtrack saved my faith about a hundred times. I don't know what Lin-Manuel Miranda has, but it is Holy Spirit, right? That there are all these ways that I found and learned how to connect with God. But the confusing part was, is that the thing that I find myself questioning was a thing that I had known to be true my whole life, right? When you grow up in church, the one thing you know to be true is church. And when you step outside of that, it's really confusing and kind of chaotic and pretty uncomfortable. The questions I was asking were uncomfortable to myself. The things that I was learning were uncomfortable. All of these things are so uncomfortable, but yet so freeing at the same time. And I began to ask myself some serious questions because I realized at a certain point in my life, anyone, if you can agree, I became the thing I was warned about in church growing up, right? Anyone ever been there? That you're like, wait a minute, shoot. And then I started to ask myself questions of like, is this wrong? Am I good? Am I bad? Am I maybe both? Can you be both? Is there a bigger understanding? Is there not? Am I doing this wrong? What are all these things, right? And quickly, that longing to leave the temple turned into a longing for something else. I longed for what I identified as Sunday, right? I longed for the feeling of community. I quickly realized these questions can't be answered in isolation. And have you ever been in a tricky situation where the one thing you wanted to get away from is the one thing you wanted when you got away from the thing you wanted to get away from, (laughs) right? Happens a lot in relationships. Um, But I left church, and then I found myself longing so deeply for church, right? And I joke all the time, our community in Pasadena, I'm like, we are a church primarily comprised of people who don't like church, (laughs) And isn't that funny, right? 
But we're a church comprised of people who long for Sunday, who long for the reality of the fact that we need to be known, the reality that we need to be cared for, the reality that these things can't be solved in isolation, and what it means to sit across from someone and tell them that it's been hard and they say, I get that, it's been hard for me too sometimes, and what that does for the human spirit. And a lot of that gets tripped up in all of the the problems in the church has long had issues with power and hierarchy, but that doesn't take away from how beautiful it is to connect as human beings, right? And all that deconstruction and leaving the temple and asking all these questions created all this baggage. And then I had this kind of bummer realization where I think I had convinced myself for a while that all the problems and issues in my entire life stemmed from like the church, And then I left the church, and then wouldn't you know, I still had some problems. It was me. (laughs) So then we get into community. And we say this all the time in our space, to quote a local priest in Pasadena. He says, we gather on Sundays, not for hierarchy, but we gather to reverse the amnesia. We gather to reverse the amnesia of the world. In other words, we gather to remember Christ. We gather not only to remember Christ, but to remember that Christ is in us, that Christ is in others, and that Christ is in the world. And it's not about this idea that someone's going to stand on a stage with a microphone and give you the exact three application points to your life that are going to make all the difference, right? Although that would be awesome. But it's about coming together to remember that the thing we are so looking for resides inside of us and within each other. And I kind of got handed this this narrative, right, that God exists a little bit more in someone with an MDiv and a microphone. Or God, like, exists a little bit more in someone with, like, a good voice and acoustic guitar skills. Or God exists like a little bit more in people with good speaking abilities and skinny jeans, right? And God exists a little bit more in a certain type of church and a certain type of songs and a certain type of fog machine if you grew up in churches like I did, right? (laughs) Or God exists in a specific kind of relationship, in a specific kind of race, in a specific kind of gender, in a specific kind of sexuality. And handed all these narratives that reminded me of what it was like before then when they said God only exists in the temple. We don't have temples anymore, but we are still being handed small ideas about where God is. And that God exists more in some people than in other people. When that is emphatically the thing that Jesus was saying against, right? Jesus came and was like, oh, women? Yep, them too. Oh, children? Yes. Oh, anyone? You name it? Yes. And here we are in 2019 continually trying to reclaim the idea that Christ, that divinity, is in every person. And to do that absolutely requires that we, what, get in a room with other people and have that longing for Sunday and that longing to sit with each other because I can tell you something that's absolutely true. Being human is the hardest job you'll ever have. And it's not the kind of job you do alone. And so we gather to reverse the amnesia not to have all the right answers or to tell everyone what the right answers are, right? But to sit with one another and say, yeah, me too. It's been hard to encourage, to find hope, to reflect back when we can't see in ourselves, right? And here's the truth. <clears throat> I think once we do that, to willing to ask those questions, 
Once we're willing to sit with people, I think it reveals one of our deepest longings. I love in this passage when Jesus says, I'll give you something that none of your opponents will be able to even question. And to find something like that means returning home to the reality that maybe the thing you're looking for has been inside you the whole time. That maybe there's something to being human that we pick up things along the way that make us feel a little less at home in ourselves. But that being at home in ourselves and finding Christ in ourselves is exactly what we need to do. And in case you're wondering, everything I'm saying is exactly the plot to the show Queer Eye. (laughs) Who, I think, are actually preaching the best gospel in 2019 that anyone else is. So if you've never seen Queer Eye, you're welcome for this reference because now you can go watch it. And there's three seasons. You can catch up on all of them. So it's a show on Netflix. And here's basically the premise of the show. Um, They choose someone who has been through something that has caused them to forget who they are. And then five fabulous queens, one more fabulous than them all, if we're being honest, come in And they say, we're not going to change you. We're not here to make you different. We're not here to turn you into us. We're here to remind you that you are special and gorgeous and wonderful, and you've just forgotten how to take care of that, right? And then they go about the show just reminding people who they are. And isn't that beautiful? And there's this one episode, which had me in like full fetal position, ugly cry, which is all the episodes, if I'm being honest. But there was this guy on the show, and he was like a great dad, an awesome husband, and he um, had like the most wild self-deprecating talk. Like anytime someone talked to him, he would find a way to sort of insult himself in the conversation. And so Karamo, who is one of the Fab Five, one of these fabulous people who comes in, he got the audio recording from the show of the first 30 minutes that they were together. And he put this guy in a room, and it's like a dance studio, so there's like mirrors all over the wall for dramatic effect. And he said, I'm going to play back only your audio of what you said about yourself in our first 30 minutes of meeting you. And it was so heavy. And it was so hard to listen to. Because you just see this awesome guy saying, I'm chubby, or no one likes me, or... I could do that before my love handles, or I used to be really good at this, right? And the most devastating part about it was twofold. It was watching him come to the realization of how he talks and thinks about himself. And then the second part was me being like, do I do that? Wait, what do I say? If someone was recording all the thoughts in my head that I said about myself, like, I think I might kind of sound like this guy. Because maybe in some of the baggage that I picked up from my life, I do think that maybe God existed a little bit more inside me before I uttered the words that I'm attracted to women. Or maybe God did like have more for my life when I was a pastor at that kind of church that was like big and packing out thousands of people than in my like little we meet in the back of an ad agency church right now. Or maybe, right, before I put on what I call my coming out pounds, right, Maybe then, like, I was just a little bit more holy. 
When I fit into these certain structures, yeah, maybe that made a little more sense. And it was wild for me to sit and think about that. And then I did this like Christian thing. I don't know if anyone's ever done it. Where you start to, to think and then you say, oh, but it, it's not about me. Right? I just need to like have some humility or yada, 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 you name it. And here's what I'm always interested in. I'm not interested in understanding how to come home to ourselves and how to love ourselves and how to see Christ in ourselves just so we can like be happy people. That's an awesome part of it, right? Because I'm an Enneagram 7, if you're familiar. I love happy things. You're like, why do you choose this passage? I don't know. Okay. So, but here's the thing. The most radical words that Jesus speaks only work if you understand that. And here's what I mean. Loving your neighbor as yourself is only radical if you don't hate yourself. Because if you do, what do you think you are giving your neighbor? If you ever, if we ever, if I ever want to get to the place where I'm able to do one of the most radical things that Jesus ever said and love my enemy, then I probably can't hate what I see in the mirror. And if I'm not able to honor the diversity and the the juxtapositions and all the things happening inside myself, then I'm not going to be able to honor them in anyone else. And if I think that I was a little bit holier before I started asking these questions or before I came into this person or before the trauma or before that conversation with the pastor, before your parents didn't um, affirm your sexuality, before, 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 whatever, if you think that that's true about yourself, then that is what we are taking into the world. And so one of our deepest longings is to get that thing that Jesus is talking about in this passage, that thing that no one can take away or refute. Because I say all the time, I know a lot less things now. I know so many less things. But the things I know, they're mine. No one can have them. No trolls on the internet. God bless them, right? I get into conversations with people who are like, how could you, right? Or questioning, it doesn't matter. I don't know, because I do, because I believe it, because I know, because I've experienced and felt God in that way. Because I had a community of people who reflect that back to me when I forget because I've been in rooms that allow the space for the questions and the wondering. And I've sat with enough courage to truly ask God the deepest questions and found only more God and 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 now you can't take that away. And the importance of a room like this or people in this room is not that you reflect back the perfection that you wanna be, right? So that you reflect that back the reality of where you are so that in that you can be reminded just as you are, not before or when that thing happens, just as you are, Christ is inside you, right? I was preaching one Sunday at my church, and this is the worst decision ever. I was preaching, it was two weeks before my wedding, okay? I know, thank you. <laughs> if you've ever gotten married or, like, planned a wedding, so half of my brain was like, do we have plates? Wait, how are we going to plant a thousand tiny succulents? Oh my gosh, tablecloths. Oh, wow. Oh, everything's happening. And then the other half of my brain was like, oh my God, I'm going to be someone's wife, you know? So my brain was 100% full of wedding and impending things. So I'm preaching and something happened that's never happened before. I'm like 10 minutes into my sermon and I just blank out. I just, I forget where I even am. I don't even know. And so I'm like, <clears throat> hmm. And I just said, I don't remember anything that I was saying or what I'm going to say, 
why don't you all break into groups and <laughs> talk about anything you're thinking about, right? And I walked off, and my co-pastor Corey was like, what? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I got wedding, and this is your fault. You shouldn't have asked me to speak. Um, classic. So um, they, people spent the next however many minutes in groups talking about whatever they were thinking about, okay? Which was like the most vague prompt to ever give anyone. Hey, what do you think about? So what's really funny is I talk about that as like the worst, the absolute fundamentally worst moment in like my speaking life. And so many people from our church are like, that was my favorite Sunday ever. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> And they're like, yes, like that conversation I had with that person, we meet every week now and we talk about it. And the things that I said, I actually hadn't told anyone that I was thinking about that yet. And, and I really wanted to talk about this, but I wasn't sure if I would have a space to. And I've always wondered this. And I was like, oh my gosh. And now, I kid you not, our church spends half the time on Sunday in conversation. Now we always do this because I'm like, maybe it's not even about me, right? <laughs> Reality check. <clears throat> And maybe what's so important in turn, into reflecting back the things and the longing and returning home to ourselves and coming to understand that Christ is in us is seeing the Christ in one another and allowing that space to be opened up. It really, 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 oh man, hurts my heart to, to think about some of the folks that will be marching later today in our city, in this city. The end of this passage says, yeah, you might lose your parents, your brothers and sisters might turn against you. You believing in something, you becoming who you are, you asking these questions might cost you family and folks in the LGBTQ community know that all too well. And allies know that all too well. And anyone who has questioned any kind of construction knows that all too well. But what I think about sometimes is how many of us or how many people have gone through all of that and still wonder deep inside if God still has a home here, if Christ is still here. We put on a conference a couple weekends ago called Gloriously Queer, it was for LGBTQ Christians. And we did this exercise where you fill out this survey anonymously and then you pass it around a bunch. So like you don't know whose survey you have, but you know it's someone in the room. And then we read the questions one by one. And if your survey says yes, you stand up, which is just a reflection of how many people in the room have experienced something, right? And so we had this question on there that I was like, it's not, people aren't going to stand up. And the question was, secretly, I do think I'm going to hell. And guys, like 70% of the room stood up. Isn't that wild? But not? There's something so true about the baggage we pick up from the narratives that we were handed, from the construction of the temple that we were given, that take a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot to undo. And that may not be your thing, but there is something Whatever it is, our goal is to remove every obstacle and block and barricade within us that says Christ doesn't have a home here. I don't feel at home here. I don't have a home here. 
because this is the home we've got. This is the place where Christ dwells. And the thing that we're looking for in that divinity and that thing that no pastor can give you, no authority can give you, no church leader can give you, you have to find. And you find it, and then no one can take it away. And also now you have something to invite people to. I say all the time, if our goal is to bring people on the margins and invite them into the table, but we don't think we have a seat there, what are we inviting them to? It's not selfish to do your own work. It's necessary to do your own work. If you want to go into the world and be light and be salt and be all these things, then you better be carrying that divinity with you and believe that it is in there. I'm the biggest proponent of therapy and, like, spiritual direction and, like, any Brene Brown thing. (laughs) A prophet of our time. Because that's what I believe to be true is that we are going to give into the world what we have. And if we are not willing to stop and take stock and ask ourselves if we believe that Christ has a home here, then that's what we should do first. I'm all for getting out there and changing the world, but I believe it's going to come from people who aren't passing on old constructions of old temples. It's going to come from people that say, I know if Christ can be in here, then Christ is in there. And I know that to be true. And there's nothing that you have to do or convince me of to know that. So with that, I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to ask, right, you all as you go throughout the week to take stock of the narrative you have about yourself. To ask yourself if you do feel at home here. To ask if you feel like Christ does have a home here. And if you would be so bold and hanging out with people from your church this week, ask them what they're thinking about. Because it might really change the trajectory of things. Does that sound good? Yes? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this room. Thank you for every single story represented. Thank you for the diversity of these stories and these experiences and these people because they only tell a bigger story about who you are and what you're up to in the world. God, give us the grace and the peace and the intentionality to seek out not only the Christ in ourselves, but in the Christ in one another. If we can begin to see Christ in our neighbor, could we even begin to do the most radical thing that you've called us to and see Christ in our enemy? God, I pray that this would all flow out of the reality that you are, in fact, in everything and in everyone. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.